0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information.
1: A couple of quick thoughts for you. Um, We had power outage again. Uh, this past few of time. Um, so those of you that are checking in children, uh, some who might still be doing that, we've had a little longer lines because our, our electronic check-in is a little offline at this point in time. And there's a few other glitches here and there, so just be patient with us if you would. And then finally, um, and we don't usually do this, in fact, I would say um, if, you, if, you, if you've been here for a couple of months or a year, you're as much a part of this community uh, as someone who's been here 50 years of time or so, okay? And we we really don't usually reference deaths, but in this case, there's been a tragic accident um, this past Thursday that took the life of Reese Blair. Um, Most of you would be aware of that already that know him. Reese uh, and his family have been a part of this church for over 45 years. And um, it was a very tragic accident. We'll be having the funeral here this Friday uh, at um, uh, 10 o'clock viewing, 11 o'clock service. Um, Bagnasco Calcaterra on of Shaner uh, they'll be viewing on Wednesday and Thursday at this point in time um, from 2 to 8 um, this is a statement of this family and their faithfulness st- and forgive me a bit if I get a bit emotional today I'm going to try not to do that but uh, um, he was someone who was very close uh, to me as well and just served in so many different ways, great guy but his family, his sister and brother and, and uh, wife and others were in the first service and um, you know this is their home church And so even with this tragedy, they were present. And that's a statement as well. Now, one other quick announcement is that Reese did a number of different things over the years. And with his passing, I'm estimating roughly 30 to 50 more people we need to fill that slot. (laughs) So you need to think about that one, all right? Um, In addition to that, um, on Wednesday, before this event happened, uh, I felt really impressed uh, to go a different direction than what we had planned originally, really. And we're leaning towards at least for this series. We're in a series entitled More Than a Song. And we've been taking apart some of the great songs that the church has written. The the church history, church music is unique amongst um, belief systems out there. There is no other belief system that has the breadth and history of of Beethoven and Bach and all the rest that that has been there, as well as all the current music. Um, And so we've been taking some of these songs apart uh, that are linked to the biblicalness and unwrapping some of the biblical aspects of some of these songs. And today's song is going to be dealing with actually two parts. This one's different. Um, uh, it's, there's a song entitled It Is Well With My Soul that was written back in the late 1800s. There's a variation or updated version of that that was done not too long ago um, that's just entitled It Is Well um, or also might be referred to as Through It All or My Eyes Are On You, uh, variations on that theme. And so we're going to be looking at this, this older song and the context of it. But the song we're going to sing today at the end of the service is uh, this rather updated version. And considering the events of this past week, it's particularly appropriate, but it was not time for that. Um, We're going to receive our offering before we do that. And as the offering uh, is being received, you'll hear the original song, uh, just the first verse or two. And some of it will be familiar to you, some of it maybe not, but it'll set the stage for our conversation here today. If you are here for the first time, If you are exploring the things of faith, if you have a home church elsewhere, we do not expect you to participate in the offering. Uh, The offering is something that comes out of a heart of gratitude. It comes out of relationship with Christ. If if you're sorting that out, then it's really just not right for you to be involved with that, so don't worry about that. Um, Some of us give online. Some of us give in this service, so no one's going to out you, okay? But giving is a very biblical principle, and there's other times we talk about it, but that's not the conversation here today. So as we receive this today, uh, let us pray. Father, we come before you. And we come and we give without compulsion or manipulation. We, we give because we're grateful for the works in our life. We're, we're grateful for the comfort you bring us in times such as this even. And your presence in our lives. Your salvation. Your grace. And so as we lay these things before you, Lord, we ask that they be used with wisdom and integrity for your purposes. And shape and guide us in this conversation today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: What?
1: pray that you would speak to us through your word, and that you'd open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys kind of surprised me here, because I was hearing other voices on that song, other than these guys up here. And that is interesting, because First Service is actually usually a little bit more conservative and tuned into the old, and they didn't sing a lick, and you guys were singing. So I am curious, not to out y'all, but um, how many of you know this song? Okay. It's a well-known song. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, don't feel bad. Okay? Um, uh, there's a lot of history to this song, and it's been used in different locations and places. And so, um, as we began this series, we started with The Mighty Fortress is Our God, a 500-year-old song written by Martin Luther at the time of the Reformation that the church is still singing today. And then we moved forward to a song that was written just 20 years ago in Christ Alone. It was called a creedal song, a song that speaks about a creed or beliefs. And and, uh, lays that out. And then last week we were talking about the character of God with Holy, 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 one of the all-time classics. Today um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the idea of God's comfort and His grace. We sing um, about His character. Uh, we, We sing to state creeds. We also sing to encourage ourselves and to encourage others and to dwell upon God's presence in the time of difficulty. Now, um, I began this series. I didn't read it to you, but I mentioned that Steve Martin, uh, the comedian, he's also a musical artist, and uh, he had written a song a ways back entitled, Atheists Don't Have No Songs. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't read this to you, so I want to read a little bit of it here. He starts off by saying, you know, religious people have such beautiful music and art, and atheists really have nothing. <laughs> and so he says, until now, a little tune called Atheists Don't Have No Songs. So, Christians have their hymns and pages Hava Nagila's for the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. <laughs> Romantics play Claire de Lune. Born again, sing He is Risen. But no one's ever wrote a tune for godless existentialism. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has one part he says in here. He says, some folks uh, sing a Bach cantata. Lutherans get Christmas trees. Atheist songs add up to nada. <laughs> <laughs> So just, it, it makes the point that, that it's, it's engagement with God and through the Scriptures that actually have inspired music over the centuries, if in fact not the millennia. Now, in a recent conversation in one of our meetings with staff, and as we were discussing this, someone pointed out and said, well, wait a minute, atheists do have a song. One of them would be, I did it my way. <laughs> and someone else responded and said, well, there's always highway to hell. <laughs> to which I responded, well, there's also stairway to heaven. And if you contrast it, it tells you a little bit about the traffic flow. Highway to hell, stairway, small group. Okay, moving on here with that. Um, In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Notice, this is Jesus speaking. Sometimes we get the idea that through faith that we'll never have a problem, we'll never have an issue, uh, a real Christian never struggles or loses a job or gets sick or has a problem in a marriage or anything else like that, and that's not true. He's saying here on earth, he's saying, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and to us, you will, not you might, it's a possibility, you will have, notice <laughs> he says not even trials, he says you will have what? Many. many. <laughs> kind of sucks. You know, I mean, it's like you, know, you will have many trials and sorrows. But then he goes on and he says, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. This song that we're looking at today um, was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. And uh, it's interesting, the song, It Is Well With My Soul, while written by him, was composed, actually the music, by a guy named Philip Bliss, um, who was a pastor and uh, and a singer. And um, this was uh, published in 1876. Interestingly enough, today is the 150th anniversary, not today rather, but coming up November 22nd is what is being commemorated this year as the 150th anniversary of this song, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, um, uh, only music geeks are going to be focusing probably on that event and some theologians or so like that. But why Wednesday, November 22nd? Um, I'll come to that in a moment, but it marks a specific moment that influenced and shaped actually the song. But the biblical roots for this, I think in part at least, and we'll see others, in part we can find in 2 Kings chapter 4. Don't look for it to be on the screen. I just want to give you a fill-in on it real fast. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. Elisha is a prophet in Israel uh, in those days, and um, he's well-known, and he's very powerful in the ways of God. And um, in his travels, he comes across one town regularly, and this one town had a woman in there who's referred to as a Shunammite, a type of ethnicity. She was a Shunammite woman and her husband. And um, they were so impressed by him and so supportive of his ministry that they actually built a second story to their place and made that a room for him, strictly to come when he's passing through, to have a place to stay so he wouldn't have to you know, sleep in the field or, or uh, whatever would have been the... the Motel 6 of its time there. Um, So he'd come and he'd stay there. Well, at one point in time while he's staying there, continually caught with just her graciousness and her generosity, he's wondering what she could have as a need that he could minister to her on. And his servant Gehazi says, well, you know, she doesn't have any kids. And uh, her old man, I mean, he's an old man, all right? Um, And so from that, Elisha draws some conclusions and when he sees her next, and she comes, he says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she's like, don't tease me. Okay, he says, no, you're going to have a son. It's the blessings of God on you for your generosity to me. Sure enough, she ends up with a kid. And it's just a fantastic thing for her. Had a lot more meaning even than it does for us today uh, in those days. And so um, the kid's working, grows up, years pass. Uh, he's still a kid, but he's working with his dad out in the field. And while he's working out there, it appears sunstroke, Uh, strikes him because he says there's a he complains of a headache and they take him inside he dies and so he's dead and the the woman comes in and and realizes this when she realizes it um, an interesting thing she asks for uh, the car to be pulled out in this case a donkey to be saddled and she's going to jump in it and she's going to go to see Elisha Um, and it begs the question where do we turn when trials and tribulations come where do we turn um, some of us just turn inward and fold. All of us rely on, on a variety of other options, but in this case, she pursues God. Through the man of, of, of God that she viewed as Elisha, she's pursuing God. So she goes... To see him. And as she leaves the place, and the um uh, her husband is is saying, Is everything okay? Uh why are you going to go see Elisha? So he doesn't know about the kid yet, evidently. Why are you going to see him right now? There's nothing special about the day. And she says to him, All is well. You think, okay, she's just kind of covering some space here a bit. But the theme gets carried on. It says at one point in time, when the man of God saw her coming, he says to Gehazi his servant, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? He must have recognized there was something untoward for her to come and see him. Is all well with you? Again, the phrase, well. Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? Ask those questions. And she answers to the servant, All is well. When she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask your Lord for a son? Did I not say, in other words, she says, I, did, you know, I didn't ask for this, but you gave this, and now it's been taken from me. And so she's in distress. This is, this, to say it is well with my soul is not to say that we are not in distress. It's not to be a denial and, and be positive thinking overcoming it. It's to say, despite the distress, despite what is torturing us or has hit us, that in the deepest part that is centered on Christ... If we truly are, as the previous song says, in Christ alone, then there's a part of us that cannot be touched. There's a part of us in our soul that can still say, despite despite the darkest moment, that it is well. And it's not a Pollyannish statement. It's not a a, a shallow statement. It's not a positive confession statement. It's a statement of truth that, 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 yes, this is hitting me, but there's a wellness. There's a trust. There's a faith in God that somehow... Now, in her case, it happens in a way that rarely happens for the rest of us. In her case, he's going to send his servant and, uh, with a task to do, and she says no. She kind of reverses the centurion with Jesus. Jesus says, well, I'll go with you. And the centurion says, no, I know how authority works, and you just say it'll be done, it'll be done. And Jesus is his faith. She's a little bit of the reverse, and, and she hasn't had authority or dealt with authority. And, and so she says, no, I want you. And so Elisha goes, and I won't go through the process, but... Basically, he does something extraordinary, or God does in this moment, and the child's resurrected. The child is brought back to life. Um, Most of our stories don't end that way. Um, Most of our stories uh, end with a hope for the future, but but rarely is it resolved as neatly as this. And that is the case, in fact, for the writer of this song. As I said, the writer of this song um, is Horatio Spafford. There's an updated version of this song that has been done that focuses a little bit more on Christ and uh, uh, turning our eyes towards Him. And and you can imagine through this song, again, or through others like it, that somehow God is going to rescue us from all pain and suffering. I heard somebody critiquing Christian music and Christian movies because it all resolves out and everything turns out good in the end. And that's not always true. The message of the gospel is that God is with us in those moments that we're not alone, and that we can find purpose even in things that seem to have no purpose whatsoever. There's a grace and provision, but it doesn't mean that pain and suffering is removed. And so what I'm going to have you sing later today is the updated version of the song that I'm going to take you through right now. Now, I'm going to caution you. I'm going to say this to you, and I'll try to remember again. When this song is sung, I'm going to ask you to stand, and Abby, our soloist, is going to sing the first verse, the chorus, and the verse again. And when she goes to the chorus, I'm gonna ask us all to join in from that point on in the song. But I want you to hear the verse, chorus, and verse just with the simplicity of a single voice. Now I'll help you with this because when she's finished with that and it's time for the chorus for us all to stand, I'll step forward a bit so you have some visual cue. And then it gets even more complex than that because when we're finished, at the very end, it's gonna reach a certain point and it'll sound like the music's resolved out. And you'll know, don't have to guess it, don't drop off, keep singing fully. Because when it finishes up, I want her to sing the last um, little refrain, Alone, again. And she'll step forward a couple of steps, and I'll step back a few steps to give you a visual. Now, you're going to do this at the end of the service, and you're going to do it in four-part harmony. You're going to do it so beautiful that the angels will <laughs> weep. Okay. No, you'll do it as you best you can if you know the song, great. If you don't, then, then listen and, and work in the guy's name Horatio Spafford. Crazy name to begin with. He was a lawyer in Chicago and a real estate um, speculator. He was also a church elder at a Presbyterian church. Um, he and his wife, Anna, were well-known. They had a lot of status in the community. They had five children, one son and four, um, four daughters. In 1870, they lost their only son to uh, pneumonia. He was only four years old. And so it was the first time that they had a little bit of a... But they kept going. They kept pushing along. They had all their real estate holdings on Lake Michigan in the 1870s. And if you know your history, then you know that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicks over a stool that kicks a lamp, in theory at least. And a fire lights up and all Chicago is burned down. 18,000 buildings, uh, 100,000 people homeless. Um, it, it, it shredded the Spafford's holdings because, uh, again, they were in real estate, among other things. Um, in addition to this, there was an economic downturn in the country that happened to hit him as well, too. So he goes from great wealth and great influence to still having some finances, but nothing like what they had, and, and a lot burned up in the process. So he was in a good relationship with a guy named D.L. Moody, who was like the Billy Graham of his time, uh, Dwight L. Moody. And so um, uh, D.L. Moody was going to go hold evangelistic services over in Britain, And he thought it would be great for his family to take a break from all the tragedy they dealt with and to go to England and be a part of this, help him out with the campaign and also just to be a part of it. So um, they're prepared to go on a ship called the uh, Villa de Havre. And um, as they're preparing to go, suddenly something comes up business-wise that he needs to stay and resolve, something related still to the property issues and stuff. And so he sends his wife and the four girls ahead. As they're sailing along, Uh, The ship is struck and has an accident with another ship, and it goes down in 12 minutes. All four children are killed and drowned. Uh, Anna survives, and days later, she's able to get to shore by way of a pickup from another ship, but it takes days to get to there at that time. She, you know, telegraphs or communicates to her husband um, the famous words, saved alone. Most stories will just say that, but actually, says, saved alone, what shall I do? He realizes then that he's just lost, you know, his four girls all of who were under the age of 13, I believe. And so um, he he orders up the fastest ship, the quickest ship he can get on. And probably because he was known, probably because of the tragedy, uh, as they're sailing along the North Atlantic, um, the captain at one point in time calls him forward and says, this is the approximate area where the ship went down, where your children died. And so you can imagine uh, this man, who's already had so much grief, stepping to the edge of the railing of that ship as they're sailing through the North Atlantic and looking in a three-mile deep trench and realizing this is where that event happened. Um, He eventually links up with his wife. They return to Chicago. And at some point in time, based upon that moment in time, which um, was the date that I mentioned to you of November 22nd, which will be 150 years coming up here, it's at that point in time that he writes this song. It's later, Uh, as I said, Attitude by Philip Bliss, um, a tune that he wrote entitled Villa de Hav," named after the ship that sank, that he adds the tune to it. And so these are the words to that song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like, follow this, the sea billows roll. You see where his head's at. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is very much... A statement of, uh, of uh, the apostle who says, In whatever state I am, I find myself to be content. If I have much, if I have little. Because of his dependency on Christ, whether he's successful or failing, whether he's rich or poor, he's content. And, and there's something about that. And so it's, it's, it's baked into this, whatever my lot, he's thinking of the apostle there, Thou hast taught me to say, It's well, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul, it's well with my soul. Second verse, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control. Later, a writer is going to write another song entitled Blessed Assurance. Maybe we'll discuss that someday. But this blessed assurance control, let this control, not my emotions, but let this blessed assurance that Christ hath regarded, he knows my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Third verse, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Even in the midst of his loss, he's realizing God's grace and forgiveness for his sin and failures. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Very much in the the line of the psalmist who started almost always with a a sense of, of lamentation, but finishes with praise. Um, I'll skip these last two and just give you the sixth verse, the last one. O Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. He's looking at that point in time with hope towards his future salvation. And um, it's it's that whole thing wrapped together that makes this song so powerful. Uh, for anybody who's going through trial, they turn to this song. But to know that the person who wrote it, suffered so much loss themselves. It wasn't a casual songwriter sitting down and saying, hey, let's let's write something with a quick hook and a few little beats to it or so like that. It came not only out of his pain and suffering, but also out of his awareness of Scripture and his understanding of God's relationship to him. Now, as I said, I'm not going to have you sing that today. I want us to sing a conclusion. This newer version, It Is Well... Um, or through it all, sometimes it's referred to. And I want you to see the biblicalness of some of the phraseology here. And then as we sing this with new understanding. So this one goes this way. Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice, meaning God. Seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken from my regard. In Joel chapter 3, verse 16, it says, The Lord roars from Zion heaven it makes, it says, and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. There's a shaking at the sound of his voice. This is what they're drawing from. They, they're saying the seas that are shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken from regard. The earth shakes at the sound of his voice. But The passage goes on and says, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Now, the song will continue on and talks about through it all, through it all as a, as a chorus, Uh, My eyes are on you. The second verse says, far be it from me to not believe, even when my eyes can't see. So the denunciation of unbelief. And this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea. Jesus in Mark chapter 11 says, have faith in God. Truly I will tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And so he's speaking of a physical mountain, but there's also other types of mountains. And maybe we don't have the, the one sufficient to have that mountain thrown into the the sea or to pray hard enough that that our power would constantly be running without any interruption in this church whatsoever. Okay? But there are other types of mountains, there's other types of things that can be huge, that fills our sight. And what this is saying in this passage and what the song is saying is that this mountain, whatever it is that's in front of you today, can be thrown in the midst of the sea. Far be it from me not to believe. Even my eyes can't see how that's possible. That this mountain that's in front of me can be thrown into the midst of the sea. And then the bridge part that comes a little later says, So let my soul, um, so let go my soul. A very powerful portion of the song. Uh, and this will be the last thing that you'll sing before it quiets down and, and our solos will come forward for the, for the last verse. But it's a very powerful part, and we'll sing it, I think, twice in this song. So let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and winds still know his name. So let go my soul and trust in the wind, the waves and winds still know his name. This is drawn from Luke chapter 8. Uh, chapter 22. Uh, one day Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. And the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to go out. This to me has always been a humorous situation. It's a little boat. They're going across here. The wind's whipping up and Jesus is taking a nap. Now it's so uh, it's so disturbing. It's so loud. It says they're in threat that they're having to shout. I mean, Jesus can sleep through anything, <laughs> and and it's just like Jesus, wake up! And he's like, what's going on? Don't you see we're about to die here? And he's like, okay, um, wind, waves, chill, boom. Now, I sometimes wonder personally if Jesus was just kind of sitting here just wait faking it, <laughs> waiting to see if they're going to do anything about it, you know. But I have to trust the scripture, and it says he was asleep. And it says he woke up. But then it says he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and suddenly, it doesn't what well, even gradual, it was suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked him, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed, Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey Him. We just had a storm this past week. It's pretty violent at one point in time. Imagine someone just stepping out of that one moment of time, everything going flat, the impact of that. And so this song is sitting here and and saying, let go my soul and trust in Him. Have faith as He's saying here. The winds and waves, the waves and winds still know His name. They still do. They still have an understanding. There's a power that God has in the midst of you in the most difficult situations. And then the refrain of the song that is the most powerful part, and I'll be honest, I don't know if it's the chord structure that moves me so much or the words itself, but there's something about says, and through it all, through it all, even sang it right now to me, my eyes are on you. I think because there's so many times that I've, I've not said this, I've certainly felt it. You know, there's so things turning around. It's like, okay, God, I don't know what's going on, but I I, I trust you still. In Hebrews chapter 21, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand uh, of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. is something we choose to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Our God, will you not judge them? Israel's under attack by a bunch of different tribes. It says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Do you feel powerless in a situation? And then this line, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I don't know if this encourages you or discourages you in being part of this church, but my most common prayer is just that. Lord, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? What do you want of us to do? That is probably my most common prayer. And I find inevitably God giving some sense of direction in the midst of this. What is attacking you? What have you chosen to fix your eyes on? Where do you turn to when the things get tough and when you don't know what to do? Do you turn your eyes on Christ? The psalmist in Psalm 141 says, but my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. My eyes are fixed upon you. You're where I turn to. Job, who had more trials than anyone else, he's the the poster child for trial and tribulation. Job chapter 2, his wife says to him, Are you still trying to be godly when God has done all this to you? Curse him and die. But he replied, You talk like some heathen woman, someone who doesn't know God. What? Shall we receive only pleasant things from the hand of God and never anything unpleasant? We receive the pleasant. Are we not prepared and just as trusting in the unpleasant? And then he goes on the 13th chapter of the book of Job. And he makes a statement that to me has always caught me. And I don't know if you'll understand, some of you will not get this passage at all. It'll disturb you to hear this passage. But this to me is one of the most powerful passages. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because what I'm saying is, even if he does nothing, it's not about what I get from him. If the only thing I have in relationship with any person is strictly transactional, there's no love there. There's no depth. There's no meaning to that relationship if it's strictly transactional. I, I, I will give you I'll give you um, um, uh, my, my service if you give me this. I'll give you my love if you give me... It's, it's transactional. But the statement here is saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's something about the character of God that is so powerful, so real, so genuine, that I trust him even if he kills me in the process, that I'll die still trusting God. That's devotion. That's faith. Isaiah, the prophet, is told by God, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous hand. I may not stop the thing from taking place. You may have to walk through dark and difficult times. But I will be with you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your care on him, because he cares for you. And then this final passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy. Chapter 31, verse 8, this final passage that says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. The Lord himself goes before you and he'll be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Where do you turn? Where are your eyes focused on? What is your faith grounded in? We sing, a mighty fortress is our God, he'll, he'll overcome things for us, and that's good. We sing in Christ alone, a statement of belief and creed, and that's solid and real. We sing of the character of God, holy, holy, holy. But there's also the songs in Christianity of encouragement, of of knowing that God's character is so solid, so real, that even when we suffer the loss of dear friends or family, we feel that, even as the Shunammite woman does, but we still say, "It is well with my soul." So, Father, this morning, I, I lift up all those who struggle those especially who don't know you yet, Father, that something in this conversation today would move them to realize that they can have a confidence and a settledness even in time of loss and, and, and discord, and they would seek you out. And for those of us, Lord, that have striven to follow you as faithful as we can over the decades or years, we lift up in praise today, and we say our eyes are fixed on you. And through it all, through whatever come, whatever storms, whatever tumult, through it all, um, our eyes are on you. And we draw comfort from your grace and your presence this day, in Jesus' name. Now, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. And again, Abby's going to sing the first verse. She's going to sing a chorus. Then she's going to sing another verse. And when she gets to the other chorus, I'll help you. I'll step a little forward maybe, but we're going to join her on that second chorus and then sing the rest of the song all the way through. Just just be part of it if you can. And you'll hear the song resolve out. You'll hear it reach a center and it'll resolve out. And I'll step back and she's going to step a few steps forward. And when she does that, just let her sing that last portion alone. Just let her sing that last verse, but, but that's it. Other than that, stand with us and join us and think through the words of this song today. Now that you understand the depth,
0: grand earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of its voice that are shaken and stay can be calmed and broken from my regard through it all No
1: 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted God. Father, I pray this morning for the Blair family, but for all, Lord God, who have mountains that fill their view and block them from seeing you, for all those who feel they're in stormy, violent moments, for all those who have struggled with faith and strength. And I pray, Father, that this morning hour, that in the singing of this song, That in the the, the reviewing of these scriptures, that, Lord, there be not just a comfort, not just a strength and encouragement, but that despite all these things that swirl around, that somewhere deep within the soul of those individuals gathered here this day, that we could say, not denial of the facts, but truly that it is well with my soul. There's things fraying on the edge of my world and on my body, but it is well with my soul. I thank you, Father, for your word, and I thank you for the inspiration of songwriters and composers. Guide us as we continue, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen.